Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 14. Episode 9. This is Writing Excuses, showing off. 15 minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Brandon. I'm Mary Robinette. I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And we are going to show off our awesome world-building skills for you <laughs> and our awesome podcasting skills. That is not skills. what you told me we were going to do. Now I'm nervous. <laughs> um, he would have you know, totally differently. <laughs> <laughs> as I know, um, we're going to talk about info dumps, but we're going to make the info dumps interesting. Basically, this whole podcast is 14 seasons of info dumps. As you may recall, we've been talking about world building all year. Yes, we have, Howard. And did you know? All right. So um, my first question for you guys is, how do you make characters who know a lot about the world talk about the world without it being an info dump or without it being boring? So I had to deal with this a lot in calculating stars because I have I have this mathematician, pilot, astronaut, and there's, OMG, oh, oh, the amount of information that you need to know. I didn't really think about it when I'm like, I'm going to write hard science fiction. Huh. Um, you're going to not just write hard science fiction. You're going to mix it with alternate history, yes. which are the two most <laughs> research-heavy subgenres of uh, sci-fi fantasy. Yeah, it was it was a good choice there. And, and also I'm going to make my main character mathematician and Jewish, none of which I am. Um, so, but what I, what I did was very much what I talked about last month, which was the interacting and, and having emotional weight to the information that the com- character is conveying. So if I, you know, if I need you to know how to fly an airplane, uh, when I and I and I want you to know this airplane is a really cool airplane. Then I have her walk into it and go, "Oh, who has the T thirty five, and how do I become their best friend?" Mm-hmm. And that immediately tells you that that this is this is interesting. And then she can start to list all of the things about it. And what I'm doing for the reader is I am completely info dumping all of this information, and. And I'm tying it to emotion. So it is using POV, right. but it is very specifically about that interaction with the thing and, and masking it as an emotional state rather than a, uh, than a please, here's my knowledge. Yeah. Well, and you say as an emotional state, a lot of the ways that this has been done historically, and it still works very well, but it's where the cliche, as you know, Bob came from, is to have two characters have an argument or a discussion about the thing. Yeah. Saying, I like this sort of gun, and the other characters say, oh, those guns are crap, I like these sorts of guns, and suddenly you've got an argument, and you're getting information about both characters, their preferences, and the guns, Yeah, is a great way to go about it. 
how do you do it without it sounding like, as you know, Bob, that sort of thing? Well, the reason that the argument works well is because it isn't as you know, Bob. It's, Bob, you idiot. Yeah. You know, and then they're not telling each other things they already know. That's when it really is, is I awful. Did, I did almost that exact, I mean, it wasn't guns. They were talking about the floating cities in the, uh, one of the places. And, and it ends, it, it just, it ends with a joke. Um, and it's very much an introduction of the characters. You know, there's a ring of giant floating cities going all the way around the planet. I grew up on Venus. I've seen floating cities before. Okay, but the bartender, he makes these drinks inside other drinks. Depth charges. I've had those before, too. And then they look at the, out the window and everything's gone. Where are all the cities? Where are we going to get drinks? And it's just a brief moment of insight. I now know that Jengisha is, one, from Venus— where there are floating cities, um, but uh, but I needed to introduce. This is the first time we've been to this place in the book, and I'm showing the reader what isn't there, mm-hmm. and so I have to describe what was there in order to then have it be gone. Mm-hmm. Oh, giving directions is actually a great way to do that. It's like, <laughs> well, you drive down the road where the old school used to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I just realized something. And that is that we always joke that Howard cheats because he has pictures for his world building. But he cheats twice because he also has jokes to make us laugh in between the moments of world building. You're just a cheaty cheater. I am a cheating cheater, and I could talk about how the humor lowers your defenses and allows me to slip information in there that's—but that's—that goes beyond cheating and into evil. I'm I'm not going to say that— the number of sex scenes in Calculating Stars are there because I had a ton of exposition that I needed to get across, but... Sex position. Sex position. Call it what it is. <laughs> it is exactly I am so glad I didn't try to make that joke. <laughs> oh, wow. There's All right. multiple layers of that joke. We're just going to move on there. So, How do you make your world building interesting? <laughs> <laughs> Sex position. Uh, so here's an example of, of something that you should not do, which is I, I read, uh, for as research, I read um, Mars, A Technical Tale by Werner von Braun, which is labeled as a novel. And it was von Braun, he's the father of modern rocketry. Uh, and it was him saying, let me tell you how we could do a Mars mission. And it was his idea to get the American public or just get the public excited about the idea of Mars. There is a chapter in there in which we literally have the professor says, let me tell you about Mars. The professor began his exposition. That's an actual (laughs) sentence. (laughs) And then the next line is, Mars is the fourth planet from the sun. It is a chapter of, as you know, fact dump. There is no, oh, it's, <clears throat> there are charts and graphs. This is, it is worth picking up just so you can go. Just to see how not to do it. It's really, oh, it's very, very useful for reference. And it is really challenging as a novel. One of the best plot recaps I've ever read is in A Night of Blacker Darkness, <laughs> which is a lengthy plot recap so that we can get caught up to, you know, getting straightened out what the characters need to do, what they have already done, and what their goals are. And it is the facts conversation. Yeah. T- 
Tell us about this, Dan. The facts. Well, A Night of Blacker Darkness was me trying to write a farce, which I learned is so much easier to do in stage, which is why I eventually went back and did it in stage. Um, But one of the problems with farce is that it is very information dense at a very fast pace. And so I got halfway through the book and realized that a lot of the writing group had either missed important details or had forgotten them because 900 other important details had happened. And so let's take a minute and get on the same page and make sure we know what's going on. Uh, All done as a conversation between the characters. One of them has decided it's not worth carrying on and wants to give up. And the other two are trying to convince him, no, we can still win. And that gives them an excuse to run down all of the plot points that have happened. Now, what makes this scene really work is the fact that I came out of it understanding The facts are all really complex and funny. So how did you not lose us in the thing that was supposed to reorient us, reorient it, reorient us as you were making jokes about how convoluted the plot was? Um, I numbered all of the facts, and that's why it's called the fact conversation. And if you talk to people who've read the book, almost everyone, this is their favorite chapter. Uh, and what I did was I knew that there were three, maybe four very important facts and they were really driving all the action, but numbering, I think at final count, it was 17 or 18 total facts made you think that there was a lot more going on than there really was. And so you're kind of in the middle of this whirlwind and they always refer to the facts by number rather than by what they are except for the four important ones. And so you know, oh, okay, running away to Rome so that we don't get murdered by a vampire, that's fact, whatever it was. That one, they will say both the number and the title, and the rest of them are all just numbers. That's Mm. very clever. that's, That's a really common stage technique, which you are transposing directly to the page. And then back to us. why it was so much better (laughs) on stage. It occurs to me that you probably repeated the four important facts a number of times. A lot of times. Where the other ones were only one-offs. Yeah, there's a lot of times in the conversation where they'll say, which brings us back to fact four, blah, blah, blah. There's a vampire trying to kill us, whatever it is. Uh, And so that hammers home the important stuff and lets you have the joy of being confused by the unimportant stuff. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. It's not a book. It is a, it, it is a 
not a YouTube university, but he calls it Shadiversity, S-H-A-D-I-versity. Um, this is a guy who, Shad is his name, uh, vidcast, deconstructs uh, scenes, ideas, technologies, things from fantasy and science fiction uh, pop culture and talks about uh, the historical underpinnings, why they're getting it wrong, why they're getting it right. I mean, one of them is this thing that we keep calling a tabard. That's It's actually a monastic scapula. Uh, tabards didn't look anything like this. Um, he's got an episode called uh, uh, Best Medieval Weapons to Use Against Elves. And then a follow-up <laughs> episode, An Even Better Way to Fight Elves. And what he's doing is digging into actual historical combat, warfare, construction, whatever, and uh, and layering the pop culture we consume over that. It is fascinating and educational. You can find it on YouTube, Shadiversity, uh, or you just Google Shadiversity and you'll be there. Awesome. So we're getting back to how to show off your world building in ways other than viewpoint, because we covered viewpoint really well last month. Uh, for the last part of the podcast, let's uh, let's dig into ephemera, non-narrative parts of story. Uh, how do you use this, Howard? Let's talk about pictures. Um. Well, okay. The there's several kinds of pictures categorically in Schlock Mercenary. Uh, one of them is the establishing shot where I tell you, the narrator will tell you where we are, you know, what the name of this spaceship is, but we will often have an external shot that shows you what this spaceship looks like. Um, uh, or it, it's a city, or it's a landscape, or whatever. There are, there are then um, relationship shots where I'm showing you where the characters are standing in relation to each other, and what is in the room with them? Are there props? Are there things that are going to be important? And then there are the panels that I call insets, where I'm just zooming in on faces and and showing reactions. Um, and I've I've talked about comic syntax in other podcasts. Scott McCloud, Understanding Comics, that's going to give you more information than I can ever give you. But when there is a, a critical story piece... I always make sure that it is showing up in an establishing shot. And then within the same page, within the same week of strips, it's going to show up in one of the relationship pictures. It's going to be mentioned in the dialogue so that we know that this is a thing that we are going to come back to. Are there ever things that you rely exclusively on the um the pictures for with world the world building or do you always use a footnote always is probably too strong a term but is it a rule of thumb that you're going to you said you mention it in dialogue um mentioning it in dialogue if it's a piece of world building that is important it's probably impacting the story in some way and so what is going to get mentioned in story is the impact um there are places where i can do things with pictures that I mean, obviously you can do this with prose. There's a scene in which it is a scene between person A and person B, uh, Kevin and, and uh, Jengisha, and uh, Ellen, whose husband is the other Kevin, the time clone, who is dead, is in the very background 
and she is being pulled out of the room by two of her friends, and she has an expression on her face that looks bewildered and sad, and it is one shot. And I knew when I was putting it in there that I needed it because I'm going to show her later having a conversation with the cloning tank where her husband is going to be coming back, but I have to have people know that there's this relationship. And I got an email from people who are like, oh my gosh, that thing you did, that little tiny half a square inch of panel, I got the feels from that. And those are the sorts of places where with a comic, um, I can put things in. It's not explicitly worded. It's easy to miss. Um, with prose, it, I feel like it's harder to hide those things because the words are all usually read in order. Does that make sense? Yeah. This is, this is kind of um, hard for me because I know my books are going to end up in audiobook. Mm-hmm. But I love ephemera and world building through them. Sticking them in the middle of paragraphs. Yeah, well, usually it's on an opposite page. Um, okay. I'm talking like the maps, uh, the maps from, oh, from the storm. Okay, yeah, like yeah. The grand poems. Yeah, the poems. The poems will get read, like but the the maps, for instance, there's like seven, eight maps in and Way of Kings. And what we do is we have a big, gorgeous painted map, and then we have the survey map that says at the bottom, you know, created by His Majesty's Royal Surveyors, and then we have a map scrawled on the back of a turtle shell sort of thing that somebody has been using to get around the camp. And mm-hmm. we have, like, all of these different maps um, that I put into the book to kind of show different ways that people are, are okay. oriented themselves. So the, yeah. planet, the Planet Mercenary source book is a 250,000-word <laughs> ephemera <laughs> with an unreliable narrator. Sold separately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, in the Mirador series, I one of the basic world-building premises was this is a world where esports have replaced regular sports. And I never wanted to and never did in the series come out and say esports have replaced regular sports. And uh, But instead, we just have, they fill the same role. People in a bar are all talking about the video game they watched on TV last night, things like that. And when the second book came out, I had the chance to do a bunch of ephemera. Um, I had logo drawn up for the main team, I had a bracket of the tournament of all the players uh, that, you know, we posted online and things like that, which all helped everyone get into this mindset of, oh, this game is important. And everyone's excited about it. Yeah. I used uh, newspaper clippings that the, the, mm-hmm. the head of, of the chapters in Calculating Stars. And, and, and that is a, that's a very useful thing, you know, because— Chapter it, headings. Chapter headings, the ephemera that goes up at the top, uh, which is a newspaper article or a transcript from a radio play. But I'm going to say that you can actually use that technique without having to go to that, uh, you know, of the, the newspaper clipping or the, the television or something else. You can use that to get your world building across without actually having to have chapter headings, because you can do that same thing by having uh, having it be something that a character overhears. Uh, having a little bit of a news clip playing in the background can allow you to just have an announcer literally tell you, and right now the ocean is boiling. You know, you can do that. And it's, it's effective. You don't want to like any technique, you don't want to be one note, and that's the only thing that you use. But it's it's really useful. Can I say I really like your uh, news reporter voice <laughs> for when you read those books? 
Um, there are there are different ones, but you've, you've got that sort of that sort of. Ladies and gentlemen. Yes, it's that. You know yeah, it. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. These mm. marshmallows <laughs> are delicious. Not actually the voice, but. <laughs> but it does tell you things. But, and, and that's, that is actually a thing that we do have to navigate when I'm doing audiobooks is if I just do a straight read of that and have that in the same voice as, as, as Elma, as the rest of the narration, you have to come up with something that's going to mm-hmm. distinguish the two. Right. And it just, it sounds like it's coming from the old radio um, broadcast that people would do. And it is very distinct. Uh, yeah. You know exactly what it is right away. March 3rd, 1952. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pertinent to this conversation, I just sold a uh, historical thriller, a Cold War book that I've talked about a couple of times. I just sold that to Audible. It's going to be an Audible original. And I had created, essentially as ephemera, a bunch of codes. It's about a cryptographer in 1961. And so there are number codes and there are replacement codes and there are ciphers and there are all these things all over the book. And after we sold it, the editor and I looked at it and realized most of these aren't even going to function properly in audio. And so we had to really rethink and we're still figuring out exactly how we're going to convey all of that stuff that was invented as ephemera and ended up being important to the plot, and now we're, mm. yeah. we're in a hole. Yeah, the, um, we can. You and I can talk about that later because yeah. there are, in fact, ways to handle that. Because I've had to deal with that. Awesome. I, I had yeah. actually had that problem in Faded Sky because there's big mm-hmm. chunks of code. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. This is off on a tangent, but I have at the beginning of a chapter in one of my books, something that just looks nice on the page that is just a bunch of random string of, of, of letters because it's a character who went through a period of pseudo-madness and this is their scrawlings, right? The reader just read all those letters and the audiobook listeners came to me and said, that chapter, <laughs> it was just going on and on and on with the letters. And so these are things oh, to be man. aware of. Yeah, mm-hmm. often... And and this is you know, this is actually getting into something that I, I that is completely pertinent to the kind of info dumping that you do and the kind of ephemera that you create. And that's when you deploy it and what effect are you trying to have on the reader. And so with with something like that, what you're trying to convey to the reader is that that there was something not right going on with this character's head, and that there were all of these things and. So there are other ways to do that vocally, but you do have to shift when you go to the different medium. One of the things that that I will see uh, early career writers do, and sometimes in published work, is that the info dump just comes in the wrong place. And they aren't thinking about the effect of the information on the, the reader. Right. They're mm-hmm. only thinking about, uh, this is information. Yeah. I often use the phrase grill in a phone booth, mm-hmm. which... Um, there are times in your story where something's going to be really interesting to the character. Uh, you often, in the podcast, use the puppet metaphor, what right. the puppet is looking at, the character looks at. And if you have the puppet look at something cool, but then you start giving us an info dump on something else, we're going to say, no, 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 no. You turned our attention towards something cool. Yeah. You can't info dump me right then. But you could info dump me a little bit later on once our mind can come back to this sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Years ago, David Kellett did, and I think it's for the podcast that he did with Scott Kurtz, uh, an impersonation of a New York taxi driver doing the audiobook version of Garfield. And he was saying, oh, you guys, did this last panel, he's sitting in the panel lasagna. 
He's sitting in a pan of lasagna. And I was rolling because I know that the Schlock Mercenary audiobook uh, is really just never going to get made. Um, but, but that problem, bouncing off of that problem uh, at that level, when you've got the ephemera, which are on one level, you know, what you would call ephemera is 90% of my product. Mm-hmm. Um, the, trans, the translation into audio means it would have to be completely rewritten. Yeah. We're going to have to stop here. Uh, Mary Robinette, you have our homework. Yes. So for your homework, I actually want you to write some ephemera for your world. Uh, write a, a transcript of a news program or a, a newspaper article, some ephemera that fits into your world, and have it be about a fact that you've been struggling to get in there that you want people to know. Uh, And then try, because it's ephemera, see how concise you can make it. So you're only allowed a paragraph. No more than 75 words. And, like, we are only allowed 15 minutes that became 22. You are out of excuses. Go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production. Jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.